The following is a message by Dr. Michael Horton of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, please visit us online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, our Lord and our King, we come to you humbly this morning aware of your favor toward us in that man at your right side whom you have sent to be our Savior, our priest, and our King. And we come in his name to learn more once again of that glory that you have given him. Uh, Not only the glory which he had with you before the foundation of the world, but the glory uh, with which you crowned him as the resurrection and the life. Hear us for we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Continuing the series through John, uh, I've taken as my passage John 11, where Lazarus is sick and... Uh, Bethany, which was sort of the uh, uh, home base for the Jerusalem wing of our Lord's ministry, uh, is the place where Lazarus and Mary and Martha lived and held fort. Lazarus is sick, and so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. But Jesus, when he heard this, said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it's for the glory of God, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. So already we have a clue as to why this event has occurred. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there where he was for two more days. And he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews were trying to stone you, and yet you're going back there? Jesus answered, are are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It's when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let's go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who was to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not 
yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. As you know, throughout the Gospel of John, uh, the signs are correlated to a sermon Jesus preaches about himself. Uh, It's organized, the, the Gospel is organized around these great redemptive historical Signs that are meant to lead us to the reality, namely Jesus himself. And yet one of the things that John points out again and again is the extent to which people only look at the sign and not through the sign to the reality to which the sign itself points. And so Jesus uh, says that he is the bread who came down from heaven. He feeds the 5,000, but they can see nothing but the bread in front of them that he's provided. This is the climactic sign uh, of John's gospel, climactic at least until you get to Christ's own resurrection. And what's interesting is that the most climactic sign demonstrating Jesus' messianic lordship uh, is also the sign that provokes the most demonstrative reaction of the religious leaders. The stakes are high indeed at this point. And so the first 16 verses recount the death of a loved one. These are very close friends of Jesus. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord, the one whom you love. We're meant to remember these people as dear to the heart of Jesus himself personally, uh, as uh, those who had been the closest at his side on many occasions. And the assumption here is that surely Jesus would come running. He had healed people immediately on the spot, Jairus' daughter. You know, people could remember uh, the miracles that Jesus performed for others. Surely, Lazarus, not to mention his survivors, Mary and Martha, are close enough to Jesus' heart that he would drop everything and come. But we already have as a clue, as I pointed out, the statement that this was done, Jesus says, for the glory of God. There's something else going on here that is more significant than Lazarus' own health. It's really not about Lazarus. It's about Jesus. It's one of those 
occasions, once again, where through the sign you're led to the reality and the question is raised, will you stop at the sign or go through the sign to the reality it signifies? If Jesus really loves Lazarus, he'll come quickly. God, if you really cared about me, you would solve this problem in my life. And it's not a wrong desire. We find those kinds of pleas throughout the Psalms. It's, it's, it's important for us to be able to cry out to God as his children, sitting on his lap, even though we recognize his ways are not our ways. But this is one of those cases where we actually know why God was doing what he was doing, why he let Lazarus die. And it's these occasions, these exceptions that we have in divine revelation that help us to cling to the fact that God does have purposes that are unknown to us, that will be realized for his glory and our good down the road. So Jesus deliberately stays two more days. Once again, this can't be, Lazarus can't be the end. He can only be the means. This story can't be ultimately about Lazarus if John points out that he loved Lazarus so much, he stayed two more days. Can you imagine telling Mary and Martha that, given the circumstances? It wouldn't have been their fault, given what they knew, the data they had at their disposal. I love you so much that I'm going to wait until Lazarus dies before I come. They just didn't have the wisdom or data at their disposal to be able to judge what Jesus was thinking when he stayed two more days. A return to Judea meant certain opposition, certain conflict with the religious leaders. And the disciples had a little bit of a sting of that already. And, you know, they had all along misunderstood what the whole point was of the Jerusalem mission. Uh, They thought that it was uh, going to be a great inauguration of the king and the kingdom. And they were strategizing about how to... No doubt they were probably sitting at the table with, uh, with plans uh, of, of, of how they were already talking about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom and so forth. They were, they were setting up a cabinet around Jesus and uh, picking their posts. The last thing they wanted to do was go into Jerusalem at this point. It's not time yet. It's not ready. Things are not ready. We don't have enough people amassed behind us. It's not time for us to go to Jerusalem. And Jesus is saying... You don't know what time it is. I know what time it is. The recurring I must, I must throughout the Gospel of John. Jesus knows what time it is. Jesus knows what his mission is. And his mission is not what they have in mind. Thomas, ever true to form, says, well, why don't we, uh, let's all go. If Lazarus is dead, then let's all go and die with him. Sassy. I, I, I like Thomas, I have to say. I, I understand Thomas. Uh, you know, it, it's not just when he doubts the, the resurrection that he has this kind of... Uh, but he was also so committed to Jesus and his mission that he was also the most likely among them to be disillusioned. And so he was also filled with faith. He just didn't understand any more than Mary and Martha did what was going on in Jesus' thinking. It's it's his work, it's his mission, it's his time. And he says, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. Again, how mystifying that would have been to the disciples and to Mary and Martha. For your sake, 
I'm glad I wasn't there to heal Lazarus? What could that possibly mean? It reminds me of uh, the book of Job, which I won't summarize here this morning, uh, especially with Hal Jones here. Um, but the, the, the book of Job, it seems to me, has as its center, the, 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 the great denouement of Job is, is not when God speaks out of the whirlwind and says, where were you when I was creating the world? Though that's important, a, 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 a great summation of the whole thing. It's really Job's confession, I know that my Redeemer lives. I don't know why I'm suffering, but I know that my Redeemer lives. And in this flesh that is falling apart off of my bones right now, in this same flesh, I will see him when he stands upon the earth. That's sort of what's going on here. There's a story behind the stories of the Bible that is much bigger than the individual players themselves. It's really a, a, a courtroom drama between Satan and, and Yahweh and the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman who will crush the serpent's head. And so God is doing this for his glory. This is one more episode in that unfolding purpose. That, that we don't have access to in our own immediate circumstances, just as they didn't here. Thomas was just a, a, a little bit of a theologian of glory. He, he didn't expect the cross. Remember Peter trying to dissuade Jesus from the cross. He keeps bringing up the cross, and Peter keeps trying to change the subject until finally he rebukes him. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan, because your concerns are not the concerns of God, but the concerns of man. You don't see this from my perspective, but only from your own. And then there's the confrontation with his loved ones in in verses 17 through 27, beginning with Martha's entreaty. It's a four-day interval between his death and uh, the arrival of Jesus at Bethany. And Martha is willing to pour out her frustration. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And yet, she believes even in this moment, he can turn things around. This is faith. Faith is not stoic resolve. Faith is not pretending that we're blocks of stone. Faith is bringing both our frustrations, doubts, fears, and our faith to God, who is greater than our fears. Even now, she says, I know that you can bring him back. Jesus responds by saying, your brother will rise again. You know that, right? You know your brother will rise again. And uh, she's a Pharisee. So, of course, yes, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. I, I'm orthodox. Uh, is this a good time for a theology exam? <laughs> is that what you're going to tell me? He'll rise again on the last day. And this is their co- I've already heard that from several of my companions here, Jewish companions, who are reminding me that he'll be raised on the last day. Uh, yes, I, I believe that. But it's like Philip asking Jesus, okay, now we've seen the signs and we know that you are from God, but show us the Father. And Jesus says, Philip, good grief, how long have I been with you? And you don't realize that he who has seen me has seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Jesus is not the means to an end. Lazarus is the means to an end. Jesus is the end. Jesus is the point of the story. 
And that's why Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Just as he told Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Here he says, not just that I preach the resurrection of the body at the end of the age, but I am the resurrection and the life. And it's one of the greatest testaments in all of Scripture to the deity of Christ because uh, no no self-respecting Jew would ever attribute this title to anyone but Yahweh himself on the basis of the prophetic texts. Do you believe this, he asks her. Not just do you believe in the doctrine of the resurrection of the body in the last day. Do you believe I am the resurrection and the life? This is the point of Jesus remaining for two days until Lazarus had died, and now four days later, four days after his death, standing at his tomb with Mary and Martha. This is the point. That question is the turning point. Do you believe this means do you believe in me, not just something about the faith, but do you believe in me? Is your faith in me? Lazarus' resurrection, of course, will still be a sign, not the reality, but it will be pointing forward to the reality, which is Jesus' resurrection, which will not be a sign. It will be the beginning of the real resurrection from the dead. And then Martha's confession in, in verse 27 shows us what the point of this whole story is. When Martha says, yes, Lord, you are the Christ, the one sent from God who is coming into the world. That's the point of the story. Just as for Job, it was, I know that my Redeemer lives. I can't answer all the other questions. This is not going to be solved for me philosophically, but only historically. I know that that whatever the purposes are that I can't understand, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in this flesh I will see him standing upon the earth. It's not really about me, although I feel like it is. It's really about him. Mary finally joins Martha with the mourners. Mary is trying to call her, trying to rouse her. You know, Martha, who had sat at Jesus' feet while Martha was busily uh, uh, running around getting everything ready for the crew, has to stir Martha. You, you, You have to wonder if Martha is here almost just not wanting to see Jesus at this point out of grief. The teacher has come and he's calling for you. And uh, Mary's response is, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And now Jesus joins the mourners. His own soul begins to be drawn into the turmoil of this drama as he sees the mourners and recognizes the wake that death uh, leaves. And suddenly, he's no longer someone standing outside of this scene. He is himself one of the mourners at the funeral. And what's really remarkable is that he knows what he's about to do. He knows that he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead in about five minutes. And yet he breaks down weeping at the tomb. That's because death is a horrible enemy. He faced it there, and it no doubt reminded him of his own vocation, what he was called to do in Jerusalem. And it deeply troubled him. It's interesting that the 
the verbs here that are, that are used are really dampened in our English translations. Uh, the verb for deeply moved is actually to snort like a horse in anger. Uh, and the verb for troubled here is the same uh, verb that's used when Herod was troubled at the news that the wise men had brought. He wasn't exactly deeply moved. He was outraged. It's the same verb that's used of the disciples when Jesus calmed the sea and now they were more troubled at Jesus, wondering who he was who calms the seas, who has power over the storms, than they were of the storm itself. He was troubled. He was, he was dismayed. He was discouraged. He joined the mourners in a violent reaction towards death. And it's that reaction towards death that really shows the depth of the biblical understanding of death's reality that we've lost in our culture. It's, it's hard to get people to believe in death in America today. Uh, you know, they, in California, at least, people aren't allowed to die. They pass away. I'm not sure why they pass, you know, what, what they pass into or pass, but, you know, they're, they're really still here. Uh, they'll show up at Thanksgiving, not show up the way the living ones will, but they'll, they'll be with us in spirit. And, and we, we really have trouble admitting the seriousness and reality of death. Death is an enemy. You get this uh, uh, in, in cards where well-wishers uh, uh, who don't apparently uh, have much of an understanding of the Christian concept of, of death and resurrection will say things like the one card I saw, that the, the, the setting of the sun is as, as beautiful as it's rising. Actually, that wasn't a card. That was a, ta- a, a, a tapestry I saw hanging in a convalescent hospital. What a horrible thing for dying people to see every day. I mean, that's just ridiculous. That dying is just as beautiful as being born? Who believes that? Only Jesus here shows us what it means to deal rightly with death. People don't pass away. We can't use that language in our churches. People don't pass away. People die. Only when we accept that do we have confidence in the resurrection. You know, if Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus shortly, then then surely we are given permission to mourn as Jesus did over our loved ones when we're awaiting the resurrection of the dead on the last day. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. Martha trusted Jesus enough to roll away the stone. She perhaps remembered Jesus' words. For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. And she believed that. So the resurrection of Lazarus is not really about Lazarus, but about the resurrection of Jesus, of which it is a sign. Lazarus will still go to his grave. He'll live for a while longer, and then he'll die. This is not the beginning of the resurrection of the dead. This is a temporary resurrection, and he will die again. But someday, when that happens, the mourners will gather again. Some of them may now have been eyewitnesses to the resurrection, the beginning of the new age. 
And they would mourn again for the same man, but not this time the way they did before. This time they would mourn not as those who are without hope, but as those who can say with the Apostle Paul, O death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? The law's curse has now been removed. And yet, Paul adds, it is the last enemy. Still an enemy, but it's the last enemy because Christ has already crushed the serpent's head and removed the sting of death from us. And because the guilt and judgment in death are removed for the saints, we can both cry with our Lord in troubled anger and anguish and at the same time sing with the apostle, O death, where is your sting? O hell, where is your victory? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us this hope in times and circumstances where we wonder where you are, what your purposes are, whether you care. We do not have the map. We don't have the blueprint, but we know that you do. And you give us these intimations all along the way throughout history, these these brief insights into that fact that we hold on to by faith, that your ways are not our ways, that your purposes are so great, so incomprehensible to us, and so fully magnify your glory and the glory of our Savior Jesus Christ that we do not doubt but surely believe that we will see our Redeemer standing upon this earth, the same who was crucified and who was raised again on the third day, and with him we will stand as those who in this very same flesh that is now decaying will be raised to life immortal. Help us live and die in the joy of this comfort and share it with others, for we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Copyright 2013, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.